0: Hello and welcome to the Squiggly Podcast. I'm Steve Henderson, as I'm sure you'll remember, but I'm joined by uh, this guy here. I can't remember. It's been so long. What's what's your name again?
1: I don't remember either, frankly.
0: Okay. We'll call you Bill. Go for it. Bill, how are you?
1: I'm rested, I suppose. That's a complete lie. Not even a minute in and I'm already lying to the listeners. I'm trying to cultivate a, an atmosphere of like we've been on holiday because we've been on away for a while. But really, I think we've both just been entrenched in various other projects and squiggly things and work things. But uh, we're back, podcasting away, as though nothing ever happened.
0: Yes. I suppose the best thing about our little summer break is that we've managed to to gather some fine interviews for everyone, and uh, we're ready to start again.
1: Yes, we've been, uh, we've been hoarding them, frankly.
0: So, Ben, what have we got on this month's Squiggly Animation podcast? Well... We
1: have Sasha Unseld, who directed the Pixar short Blue Umbrella, which has been accompanying Monsters University, the summer smash hit, I dare say. Uh, I have no stats on hand to back that up, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's accurate. We also have Disney legend Eric Goldberg, very respectable body of work behind him, so looking forward to hearing what he has to say. He'll be joined by Lauren McMullen, who's directed the latest Disney offering, Get a Horse. They worked on that together. We also have a chat with Terry Hatcher, who provided one of the voices for Disney's other summer smash, potentially. Could be a disaster. Who knows? I don't want to have an allegiance either way because I don't like being proved wrong. All right. Planes, which is basically like Cars but up a bit, she'll be chatting about her role in what's sure to be a delightful film, so let's get cracking, because I always find the intros awkward and meandering. Did you have a fun break, Steve?
0: I had a charming break. I uh, yeah, I feel, like you said, well-rested and eager for more podcast fun.
1: Yes, I can hear that in your voice.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I, f- I forget this is an audio thing and not a visual.
1: <laughs> it's like we never stopped. Just pick
0: us back up again.
1: press record
0: yes I've had a wonderful holiday
1: well that's good it's nice to be doing this again it is strange how time just kind of starts slipping through your fingers I mean the way I think of it is like sands through the hourglass so are the days of our lives
0: yeah made that up this isn't a philosophy podcast Ben this is an animation podcast so uh, you know it might be worth talking a little bit about our animation adventures that we've had in the time off
1: this is hardly the time or the place oh wait it's both yeah
0: <laughs> hey we were an Annecy this year we
1: were the last podcast was before that my word that was ages ago it
0: certainly was it was your first Annecy Ben how did you find the experience
1: it delivered certainly if nothing else I took tremendous pleasure in the company and the uh a lot of the stuff on offer was pretty compelling i thought there were some pretty interesting eye-opening films thrown in the mix i had been cautioned that Annecy was a little uh on the artsy side so i kind of wasn't that surprised when there were a lot of um shall we say uh protracted ponderous Well, let's just be frank, meaningless (laughs) bits and pieces here and there, you know. But certainly a big laundry list of of exciting new names and animation to watch out for and uh, some new offerings from people who have already proved themselves in the past. And some of them were were there. It's nice to meet them. And a lot of drinking and not a lot
0: of exercise to balance it out. You'd much rather be in an air-conditioned cinema than uh, stood outside getting sunburnt, you know, and exercising like an idiot. Like an idiot. Yes. I mean, you yes. said that there was plenty of, of eye-opening films there. I, I, I found this year that there was also a fair few eye-closing films. <laughs> That's sort of, <laughs> a sort of polite yeah. way of putting it. The selection for the uh, professional films wasn't the hottest that it's been in years. Now, don't get me wrong. When the films were great, they were amazing. But when the films were terrible, they were, well, I've just said terrible. It was a little bit like the weather, but it was pretty grim all, all in all compared to, to previous years. But that being said, there were some fantastic films.
1: I suppose we could talk about the Annecy films, but I don't know. It seems like it's a, it's more of a three-man job than a two-man job, Steve. Yes. Fortunately, we were able to meet up in Annecy with Aidan McAteer who uh, does his own podcast based in Ireland, also about animation. So he knows his stuff. Uh, He's an animator himself. You'd probably recognise his name. His his films have done quite well. And we had a bit of a sit down over what we had seen and uh, how we were finding the festival. Let's hand it over to us
2: (laughs) a couple of months ago. So boys, what did we think of the films? It's been a funny old year, I think. Mm. I I don't know. I think in past years I've I've enjoyed others slightly more. This Mm. year... A lot of the shorts, especially, seem to have been quite dark, sort of in tone and in visuals as well. But maybe that's a good thing.
1: I do find that there is a kind of trade-off of the story will really grab me, or the visuals will really grab me. But what's been happening is I've been watching a lot of films, um, rather than actually taking in what they're saying. Yeah, so I'm looking that's at all the techniques, and I think with the big screen and everything, and the the you know, where you're sort of looking at it from. Um, you know, if it's a especially if it's in your medium, then you're gonna sort of deconstruct it in a way of like, Oh, how did they do this? Yeah. Can I rip this off? <laughs> um, well, one of the first films we saw, uh, you and I, Steve, and mm-hmm. possibly yourself, the new Monsters Inc. Monsters
0: You Oh yeah. Um,
1: I
2: didn't see this one so I let you guys chat on that one. Steve,
0: you rather enjoyed that, didn't you? I did, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm quite the quite the one for commercial uh, animations. I uh, really enjoyed it. I thought it was a wonderful follow up to uh, to two thousand one's Monsters Inc. I Ma-
1: think it was like a, a follow down. <laughs> if yeah, of the story. Yeah, imagine. but in,
0: in in terms of the kind of you know nature of time and the sort of <laughs> the, the, the way that we're.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of the a time is measured sense of time. It's sort of, it's the future, but it's also the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was great, very funny. Um, did that kind of bait-and-switch near the end, story-wise, where and I was trying not to spoil Yeah, I mean, you
2: work away.
0: <laughs> they kind of flipped it a little bit as well. I mean, the first uh, Monsters, Inc., uh, Mike, uh, is really uh, the B character. Yeah. And it's all about Sully and his relationship yeah. with, with Boo. Mike's the green one, right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, or bub, as he is over here in France. All the promotional oh, yeah, materials. Said. <laughs> bub. Well, well the, the guy's <laughs> very
1: clearly being addressed as Mike, and the subtitles still insist he's going <laughs> on. Um...
0: Yeah, What's well, this, the, this one's his film. It's about his uh, own sort okay. of insecurities, and, and uh, cool. he's a little bit of a swap which is really good. And obviously Sully, uh, he's the the jock, the sort of you know doesn't need to try hard. Mm. Uh, just sort of coasting right the way through uni. Very good. Uh, they don't do what I was expecting to do with, re- in terms of the kind of resolution uh, at the end. It's yeah, it's a it's a, it's a nice message at the end, I would say. So films in competition, short films in competition. Yes. Well, we'll go uh,
2: in order of screenings. Um, Number one. Uh, the one that I found in this one was uh, I don't. So you guys saw this, right? Oh yeah, uh, yeah the first one. Feral, I thought, was brilliant. Mm-hmm. That's which, a good one. It was just so well done. Uh, it was amazing, sort of quality of drawing. Uh, really, kind of interesting story. It looked really beautiful. It really kind of grabbed me. I think that one. Yeah, I the sort
1: of way everything's kind of overlaid on top of one another. The yeah. Sort of the lighting and the the weather and the settings and the little ways they kind of show this kid um, who's you know detached. From, yeah. Like coping mechanisms and stuff like that. Very mm-hmm. sort of born of of, of you know living in the woods, I suppose. Yeah, that's right, he's yeah.
2: kind of raised in the woods, isn't he? Sort of.
0: I did like the way that when he's riding into town, the town sort of all comes together. Mm. And it's like, you know, it's we know what a town looks like, mm. but with it all coming together instead of just being a background, yeah. I did that kind of, you know, first time seeing it. Yes, yeah, you know, kind of through his own eyes. eyes you know, it it yeah, 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 which was, I thought was excellent, nice, nice use of uh, of whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. I
1: reckon the guy who tries to assimilate the kid into civilised society would have had a better like
0: shot if he taught him that Rain in Spain song. Like, yeah. My <laughs> no,
2: what are you gonna do? That's <laughs> how you assimilate people into society.
0: <laughs> I did like um, I mean it was it was a pretty it wasn't f- hilarious right the way through, but right in the middle we've got the uh, Will Anderson's uh, <laughs> scroogging on a greg is it uh, little was it 45 seconds worth of just it
2: probably says how long it is there yeah 47, yeah. 47.
0: well not, not a bad guess not 47 only seven seconds worth of just pigeons smoking yeah and, and, you know oh just hilarious right in the middle there yeah little trade actually so yeah yeah mm. i was particularly enamored of toward the end
1: was uh rosto's film mm. uh, the lonely bones which is uh, I think a sort of sequel to another film because I've definitely seen the character in the film in another mm. film before um, so maybe it's part of a series uh, but it was really um, <sighs> grabs your head and just smushes <laughs> it into the film and just says, eat this, you know <laughs> I quite like that, I quite like when something's unrelenting when it kind of forces itself it on it d- It certainly doesn't stop yet That's yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't. and you know, in this kind of like mo era uh, in green screen and all that you know to do something to see something that's kind of done in a certain way and actually think oh this is actually being quite creative you know they're not just taking something and giving it a new skin yeah. they're adding all this extra stuff to it or taking all this stuff away from it um, so yeah that was a nice piece
0: of work so that's your top fill with this selection.
1: I would say so that one and the Will Anderson one uh, oh no The Banquet of the Concubine
0: yeah. was wonderful it was
1: lovely wasn't it uh, yeah. really
0: Gorgeously animated,
1: sort of yeah,
2: um, Japanese style. Lots of lovely textures, lots of flow in the animation. They had long robes and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that was lovely, wasn't
0: it? It did remind me uh, slightly. Obviously, set in in uh, ancient China, you instantly recognise a style but it's not that style. It's no, not it's style not a little bit like the the Book of the Celts, the Secret of the Celts. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Know, I think you went to see uh, Tom Moore earlier on. Yeah. so it's uh, similar to that kind of that kind of style. I would say. It is. Well, that that use of uh, you know bringing a bit of a modern design edge to it. Uh, I think it yeah, is. It's classic. taking that
2: yeah sort of traditional style of art and then sort of just tweaking it a bit for design for animation and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And sort of yeah. pushing things. And it does. That's a full image one, isn't it? And that studio kind of, we're sort of known for their short films and stuff like that. They have that very sort of. They're good at that aesthetic of sort of uh, pushing things just a little bit, just sort of changing them enough so you kind of uh, yeah really kind of sings on screen. I think. This is the short films too, which I have to admit I found slightly hard work. You guys probably might not agree with me.
0: No, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a little bit better. I think I've been getting better okay. all week. I think right. you've been, you've, there's been more time. Kind of uh, as the weeks progressed, uh, it, it's kind of got got a little better. Um, mm. If the first one, the first uh, films in competition was uh, short films in competition was abstract and uh, a little. Maybe a little bit difficult to follow some of them mm. uh, the story has got a little bit more uh well put together the the standout film uh in selection two or one of the standouts at least must be uh chris landreth's um subconscious password mm-hmm. you just mm-hmm. see it down there yep. at the bottom it's really nice to see him using humor yeah i, I just think it's, it's good isn't it yeah yeah I, I, yeah, love that, love that um, film. There's well,
1: so much real like ingenuity of how all that footage was used yeah. to have like characters, you know, essentially playing themselves, but repurposed in that way. Yeah. Um, and uh, hearing him sort of, you know, just dis- discuss that process and what a sort of rights issue you would think it would be, <laughs> but actually, you know, going through these little loopholes and mm-hmm. actually just being able to get that stuff for free. That's, and, nice. uh, That's amazing. But yeah, and just I just love the the way it was sort of bookended with the pixelation sequences. Mm. It really sort of captured. I mean, what I think has made this film particularly resonant with us, and I think probably the whole festival is that this is a festival that is all about <laughs> bumping into people. You know, who the <laughs> f is that? Yeah, right? and I've, I've certainly got it a lot. Yeah. I've been I've been embraced by people who very clearly don't know who I am. <laughs> so good to see you again. <laughs>
0: I got, emba- I got embraced by a tramp yesterday. Oh, good that was my networking. It's using my monsieur <coughs> So, oh, sorry I'm sorry I don't have any money Yeah, but it's yeah.
2: fantastic to, to take that idea because that's a, someone walks up to you and you don't know their name mm. and instantly he just takes that little idea which is so relatable We've all, oh, like you say it happens to everybody and then just runs with it and runs with it and runs with it and goes completely crazy in a very sort of uh, yeah. Chris Landon kind of way as well.
0: <laughs> so, I think if you can relate to a film I think that's key to exactly, exactly uh, I couldn't
2: it? agree more I
1: think I'd be more inclined to agree with you Aiden, about the screenings in general with the second one it was a bit yeah. But it kind of switched around sort of the halfway mark. Yeah, and the the later ones I think were were quite strong. Mm. It just had an odd sort of ropey beginning. But uh, yeah. like Norman was very interesting. It was very yeah. impressive. Yeah, um, Betty's Blues I thought was great. Yeah, I really liked that particularly one. Particularly when it switched to two D. I loved the puppets and the yeah. stop motion bits but the voices kind of left me a bit cold. Like the performance wasn't that. The dialogue, you know, okay. But once it was in the sort of two D story and just the, the 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 way everything moved, the way everything yep. kind of That's the, the color to the
2: beat that of sort of, of lovely thing.
1: like line style. You yeah. Know? yeah,
2: it almost kind of reminded me of Robert Crumb or something drawings a little mm, bit. Yeah, like, you know? yeah, yeah. The
1: shading. Yeah, and uh, well, also just like the the sort of farcical uh, uh, way of dealing with quite heavy handed subject matter. Yeah. You know, and if it, it's sort of interesting. It's not liked by any stretch of the imagination. But it, it, it almost makes the KKK fun, <laughs> putting <laughs> them does. in this kind of like, you know, uh, uh, almost keystone cops. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's yes, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And obviously, uh, Annecy favourite there, I can see Mr. Bill Plimpton, Drunker mm. Than A Skunk. <laughs> nice to see that uh, him tackling cowboys and... Uh, the I have to say,
1: my hat to him for making a film entirely in biro. Yeah. <laughs> is it yeah. all done in viral? Viral fantastic? ballpoint pen that's on the postcard, but yeah, like like that's my like least favourite type of inking to do. So, yeah. you know, uh, half Yeah. And he knocked it out in, like, two months. Probably. I think mainly to get it into Annecy, you know, uh, so uh, it seems yeah. to come yeah. over here. I
2: wonder. But, uh, well, you know. But it's nice, and it's nice to It's something slightly different, doesn't it? Sort of like, you guys probably know the story of Burton Is it, it sort of is his friend who has written this poem or is he writing the poem or something, is it?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's an old like they know each other, and he went to um, to the guy's house to have him record the poem. It's an odd recording; the audio is very rough, mm. um, yeah. and and purposefully so, according to Bill like because and, and, the visual style is very rough as well. Okay. So it has this kind of like clunky, um, uh, you know, authentic in the sense that it sounds like it's being
0: read by a drunk person.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's very true
0: so the uh the the top film for films in competition two what do you think
2: a subconscious password probably
0: yeah
1: yeah I'd, so, I'd say yeah i'd go
0: with that it's got i mean and i'm canadian i have some loyalties as well absolutely yeah <laughs> you have to uh if it's for me i would say it's it's uh yeah subconscious password and if i had to pick a second i'd say norman
1: mm-hmm. hmm. moving along uh short films three yeah, so I haven't oh, seen this one until so you guys again, I'm afraid. Okay.
0: Um, have you seen any of the films in it at least?
2: I don't think so. So, I don't, so yeah, work away.
0: Right. Well, you were talking about um, Robert Crumb earlier on, mm. and I think uh, Mama looked very crumb like. That had a very kind of, uh, you know, cross, used crosshatch a lot. It was full animation, but it had a kind of uh, a, a lot of crosshatching to it, which was great to see. Okay. You know. I've completely forgotten what it's one where the woman <laughs> screams at them again beginning. She just goes, <laughs> "Oh, that woman!" it's not like a, it's not like a real scream. It's like, "Ah, I shouldn't have come here." Let's yeah. just do this for five minutes. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I loved it like the the look of it. Yeah, but it was it was one of those ones where you're like you kind of want it to kind of stick around a bit more, you know. It's yeah. kind of like it was there and then it was not. Okay, It's mm-hmm. like, oh, there's kind of more I wanted to know about what was going on here. Yeah, anyway.
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Did you like um, dog skin?
1: Kind of. Um, I, I like dogs. Um, <laughs> so I kind of don't like dogs getting hurt. <laughs> dogs uh, at yeah. turning to um, people
2: and uh, <laughs> yeah, do you know what it reminded me of uh, I'm Not an Animal oh that, yeah it does, yeah because I can see it still here it looks like so it is sort of a collage-y and photograp- yeah. photograph and it, and was, and it f-
0: was the movement and the way that the characters look and everything it was very I'm Not an Animal okay yeah yeah, um, yeah massive eyes mm. Mm. Uh, have you seen Julia Potts' new film
1: no yeah. that was interesting as well I mean she's stuck with an artistic style you know um, for a few films now but I think this was the third, I may be wrong. I've seen three. Um, so the first one was this kind of like viral YouTube hit okay. that was not very dark at all. It was quite sweet and it was kind of creature comforts-ish. And then she did an RCA film and she pretty much went straight from the bends to kid A without any like okay computer buffer in between. <laughs> That's an analogy for your aging hipsters. There out you there. go. Um, so yeah it was this big sort of like about turn story-wise dialogue wise mm-hmm. and uh she's kind of stuck with that sort of turn with the event um I'm, i she's doing very well i think she's going to be around for a while <laughs> so definitely someone to keep an eye on um one i really liked was uh uh going back to my thing with you know dogs or whatever it's a history of pets yes which was about a guy who just has this really
0: terrible luck with you know having animals survive in his household yeah um when he's talking about the the pets and their sort of foibles and what they used to do yeah like the dog that licks paint and things yeah. like that you can almost tell what's going to happen to them i mean you know that they're going to end up deceased you know, <laughs> but you don't know what the punchline's going to be yeah. everything's got a different a, a nice a great punchline
3: nice.
0: um and it's a, in a really nice style, of, I'd call it maybe Cubism or something like that. Gendi Tartakovsky yeah, meets sort yeah, of yeah. Cubism. Uh, so the sort of fresh design, uh, pacing was very, really nice, it was funny, you know, which is always a thumbs up for me. Uh, yeah, really enjoyable film.
1: There was one film called, I don't know which one it was, I think maybe it was Zank, uh, and I thought I was having a stroke. Oh, my God, yeah. In a good way? Well, <laughs> in the sense that I, you know, I, I made it through and I didn't need any
0: kind of surgery.
3: Yeah.
2: But,
0: um, I thought some, I thought the projector had broken. Okay. Yeah. It was oh, It was basically just lines across the screen.
2: Oh, someone was telling me mm-hmm. And
0: not like, it weren't like the lines were created uh, by hand, so it wasn't like somebody just, if somebody had done a scribble, an animated yeah. a scribble, that would have been... Okay. That would have deserved a place in this festival more than this. It was oh, insulting, God. I think, to oh, to, to animators. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm look, like I feel, it, feel. Yeah. It. <laughs> you know this uh, NFB app that's come out. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find
1: out more on squiggly.com uh, They made they had these filmmakers make sort of special commissions for it. Yeah. And uh, one of them, uh, I forget the filmmaker's name. It was called Barcode Space, I think. Very similar. If you describe both films, just lines and colours. In time with uh, sound, except that one was really watchable yeah. and kind of <laughs> pleasant. And it's, it's sort of odd when you see like two things, you know, doing sort of the same thing, but one's perhaps succeeding more, or in a way yeah. that doesn't make you wish
0: for death. Yeah. You know? Well, this was That's a music plus. If you're not <laughs> wishing for death while watching yeah. it. Well, this is this was a music video, mm. uh, yeah. and it didn't match the music. I think oh, I feel okay. that the music was a kind of. Uh, it was just something to put across music. Oh, well, really? like, it could yeah. have been a screensaver, like, a, like, a, like a, a, an like an like an iTunes screensaver that yeah. automatically like does like flashy
2: things in time with music.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this wasn't even in time, but yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Because that is the nice thing about some sort of those abstract things is when it does hit the music just. Yeah. And, and you you, like, you, and was you was know? waiting for that. You, yeah. just,
0: you You were sat there watching it and waiting for that to happen. It just okay. didn't happen no, unfortunately. The no, no. um, one I kind of liked maybe a little overlong is called Kick Hot.
1: Yeah. and it was sort of an MTV-ish sort of wrestling tale. Okay. You know, yeah. Of... Oh, one we missed from the other screening. It was uh, the one with uh...
0: Wind of Share. Oh, oh how, how can I forget this? Yeah. yeah, yeah what yeah, a, a wonderful true true film. It, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. It's very true. How can I forget it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what a film. Just morals out the window. Yeah. Uh, fun, kind of glorious, ridiculous misogyny.
2: violence.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, Lovely ending,
1: you know, the the doing the right thing kind of ending (laughs) in a really (laughs) self-serving way, Um, and uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. really funny,
2: uh, quite well executed, just sort of felt a little bit like influenced by a lot of that sort of TV, you know, family guile, kind of stuff a little bit. Sort of um, Mike Judges. yeah, really. very Mike yes. Judge kind of thing. As uh, for of a French Mike Judge, if you can mm. imagine, it. Mm. mustache and sunglasses around. I'm just imagining it. Now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, we've lost oh. Ben. Come back.
0: <laughs> so, filmed in competition three. Uh, did you have a favourite?
2: Probably the
1: history of pets and that one. Yeah, sounds like a uh, good like that one.
0: Les Souvenirs was good. Oh, of course, that was great. Yeah, yeah, that um, was really sweet. I think that might have been my favourite from that selection.
1: Yeah, I think they'd be tied for me. I mean, I think yeah. that. Yeah, it was. Uh, Les Souvenirs was, was one of those kind of. In a sort of Adam Elliott sense, it was very poignant, but not mm. in a kind of, you know, be sad now way. It was, yeah. it was like, hey, this is a thing that happens kind of thing. Okay. Um, Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So, competitions four. Mm. I think this was probably the one I was. I, I was very, very sleepy, and I was really kind <laughs> of struggling to get through it. Okay. And all the other ones kind of like slapped me awake. With um, this one, there was plenty of stuff that was good. There was in good
2: it. stuff in this one, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah,
1: but it was it wasn't that like riveting. Okay, it was like it was a lot of technically impressive stuff that I would probably get more from at a different time of day or in a different <laughs> context. Would probably be better watching online, maybe. Mm. Um, but uh, uh, there were certainly ones that I uh, I enjoyed. Yes, indeed,
2: I liked. I think my favourite was Bowles, whatever yes. it was. I enjoyed that. I thought that was really nicely done. Mm. Um, and it kind of had an, e- had an ending. I like it when films have an ending. I think feel like yeah. some of these early ones in fact just kind of ended yeah, without having an ending. And I, that's, I mean, a lot of people don't mind that, and that's fair enough, but I kind of like a, an ending. Yeah. I thought that had a, quite a nice one. And it's mm. quite a sweet dynamic between this sort of writer guy and this sort of next door neighbour sort of... Hooker type character, yeah. <laughs> um, and all this wackiness with the typewriter. Which yeah, was quite enjoyable.
0: Looking at the titles here, it's a very strong one. This I think uh, films in competition for you You've got the the big beast. I love that story. The idea is that there's a, a supposed to be this beast. You never actually see the real beast, but they get more f- more afraid of the beast, yeah. and they start implementing ways of of kind of uh, addressing this problem. That's right. And in the end. They've created the beast. Yeah, it's a good, you yeah. know. There's a nice message there. Yeah, Gloria yeah. Victoria, another oh, very yeah. strong film. I
2: enjoyed that actually. Yeah, more yeah. than I thought I would because it, it starts quite abstract at the start and stuff like that, but it's sort of very in, kind of enjoyable, I think. Abstract films, some
0: of them can fall into a, uh, the problem yeah. of uh, being too long and not having much of a much to offer. Yeah, yeah. this had loads to offer. Not in there, it? it? was the the music was the, was right. the The pace was right. That yeah. it was that constantly interesting visually yeah. yep uh, agree more. Uh, yeah wonderful. I think if you know a little bit about
1: filmmaking in general you can make really effective abstract films mm. and I think the ones that fail are the ones that are just like oh I can make a film with a bunch of colors and shapes yeah. and weird shit going on yeah. um, you know and it has no real cohesion to mm-hmm. it and something like right. this you can tell it had it sort of had a build up yep. it got, got gradually less and less sort of abstract in terms of more it did got quite figurative and, yeah you know. that's true I mean, it started off kind of McLaren-ish, I felt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which yeah. may or may not be a coincidence with the whole McLaren NFB thing. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, certainly app timing. Yeah, um, yeah. All in all, a pretty pretty strong NFB presence yep. this year. Quite a well. lot. It's a great year for them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Was um, that the the new Monty Python? Oh yeah. Thing that was interesting.
0: Yeah. Was was that created as part of a um, the Lars autobiography competition or something? I don't know. It feels don't like it could it, have been. Yeah.
2: I don't know. Anything about just, it. Yeah,
0: I think it feels like something like that. Uh, it's kind of like a sketch,
2: almost, does not it? Yeah.
0: yeah. Monty Python if they were doing the X Factor today, but it yeah. was like on a sort of village hall, you know, yeah. style. I don't think it's the strongest Monty Python
1: sketch. <laughs> it's not I've the ever funniest seen. sketch
2: in the world. Yeah. But it was sort of a just
1: surprising, know. to be honest, to have the Monty Python credit at the end. I mean, mm. you could tell from the voices this is something to do with it, but then, you know. You, like you say, it would have seemed something more associated with that Graham Chapman film, yeah. which wasn't really uh, meant to be considered a Monty Python film, and it did have people like weighing it in Interesting that Eric Idle was in this, but he wasn't in Lies <laughs> on the Murder. Yes.
2: For fun yeah. of the uh, yeah, <laughs> funny circumstances. Uh, I really liked that Autour du Lac with like, Around the Lake film. I was singing it all the way <laughs> back home <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. Because it's a song, like, because those guys did a, a TV pitch that was really good about a mosquito. Uh-huh. And they said they had this uh, this, uh, this short uh, film in, uh. in competition. So he's a writer and a musician and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. he wrote, because... It looked a little bit like it could have been a music video or something, but uh, he wrote it specifically for the film. Right. So they're kind of a, a, a part a partnership. So she does kind of all the graphic the visuals, and he kind of writes it and sings it and performs it and that kind of stuff. And uh, it was really catchy, I thought. I thought it was kind of fun. Good.
0: So, all in all, uh, some, some great films there. Yeah. Strong,
2: strong, uh, Annecy.
1: Uh, uh, yes, well Sean done, Annecy. Her. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so thanks to Aidan for helping us out there chatting about some of the uh, Annecy selection
0: yes if you want to find out a little bit more about the podcast that Aiden produces based around Irish animation you can go on flippedpodcast.podbean.com these
1: podcasts they're sweeping the globe I think this medium is going to catch on
0: you know well, I hope it does.
1: We've been quite busy since we uh, we came back from Annecy as well.
0: Uh, how's your summer been, Stephen? What have you been up to? I had the immense pleasure of going up to Edinburgh, beautiful city, in a place called Scotland, to the Edinburgh International Film Festival. Very exciting this year as Richard Williams was there, presenting, it's called 80 Animated Years. It was like his... Um, is sort of retrospective of all of his work, Mm -hmm. which was very exciting to see as he brought a 35mm print of The Thief and the Cobbler, the trailer, you know, before the whole thing got messed up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even talked a little bit about the film on stage as well. And he was there to present an award, uh, the McLaren Award, which is in its 24th year now. It's got a big anniversary next year, 25. But this year, uh, for the 24th Award, he presented the award to the film Marilyn Miller, the new film by Mikey Please, which I saw, uh, is pretty damn breathtaking. The first minute alone sort of leaves the Eagle Man stag, his last film, sort of in the dust coughing. Mm. It's, a, it's a fantastic film. And when it starts doing the, the rounds in the festival circuits, we've got an interview that we'll be able to play you. So, yeah, have a little look at the list of the, what, what was playing at McLaren and try and try and find them films. Peter Bainton's film was playing there. It's, uh, it's called The Lion. Quite a sentimental song about having to be the leader of the family. So, Annecy, Edinburgh, whatever is next? I went to see the the new exhibition at the uh, Museum of Science and Industry, which is like a collection of all the Cosgrove Hall material. It's only a small room, but it's a kind of perfectly condensed selection of uh, Cosgrove Hall materials. And I'm sure everyone who listens to the podcast now now know everything they need to know about Cosgrove Hall, because obviously the last two podcasts... Uh, featured Mr. Brian Cosgrove himself. Um, it was nice to meet him in person uh, at the launch and obviously you see all his, his creations. You've got the puppets from Wind and the Willows, you've got the original animation cells from Danger Mouse and the BFG. And it also the, the, the exhibition also celebrates the way that Cosgrove Hall created a little bit of an animation revolution in the north-west of England because you've got work from... McKinnon and Saunders as well as Cosgrove Hall you've got uh, Paul Berry a little bit of a retrospective on the the director of uh, the Sandman and also some Bob the Builder stuff and other bits and pieces from Barry Purvis as well Uh, but yeah an excellent exhibition at the the Museum of Science and Industry in Manchester it's free as well it's ongoing is it it is it's ongoing until November I think something to bear in mind Mm.
1: One of the uh, Annecy special events you got to see was Shrouded in Mystery, I suppose. It was a new Mickey Mouse short, though it's uh, uh, presented as, a, as an old Mickey Mouse short. And it's like, what's going on? Is it new? Is it old? Who knows? better go along and see it and then i didn't but you did yes <laughs> was it a good film
0: it was great be it new or old yes the presentation was marvelous the guests that we're going to speak to in a, in a while uh, lauren McMullen and eric goldberg were there and when eric got up on stage he got a round of applause and like a standing ovation which must have lasted around about 10 minutes he, he almost looked embarrassed <laughs> 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 like the applause had finished because obviously everyone's heard of, of Eric Goldberg. And
1: I think you have to be sort of schooled in Disney lore to really know the names. Yeah. you know. But so it'd be good to get a bit of backstory.
0: Well, if if you say he animated the genie from Aladdin, you get the kind of picture of his kind of skill. Mm-hmm. He also created an, an amazing book called The Character Animation Crash Course, I think it's called which comes with a CD, which lets you go through every frame of animation. It's just a, a wonderful resource for animators. So he's one of the major players Yes, down Disney way. Absolutely, yes. Especially in the sort of 2D department side of things, which Get a Horse was kind of billed as. So like I say, everyone knows Eric Goldberg, but not many people knew Lauren McMullen. So what they did is they got Lauren up on stage wearing a white coat and wearing protective gloves, and they called her their first ever archive director, and she presented to the audience some cells and some frames from a forgotten Disney short, supposedly forgotten Disney short, called Get a Horse. It was quickly revealed, for those who don't want the spoiler revealed, uh, look away now and put your fingers in your ears, that she wasn't really an archivist. She was uh, basically, what she'd given us is she'd given us some pieces of paper with some drawings on, stained with tea and Coca-Cola and things like that.
1: They were doing a little play.
0: They were doing a little play for all our Aww. entertainment, which was very nice. This has showmanship is dead. Oh yeah, and, and who does showmanship better than Disney? And so she she sort of explained how the short came around. It was her idea to bring Mickey back, but obviously Mickey Mouse is is over eighty years old now. So there's various incarnations of, of Mickey Mouse. There's the Fred Moore uh, Mickey Mouse, the instant Mickey Mouse that everyone sort of instantly recognizes, the, the the one that's on all the merchandise now. But if you go right the way back to the beginning, when he had like square shoes and uh, smaller ears and, and no gloves on, you get a, a, ra- a rather different adventure. I mean, have you seen many old Mickey Mouse shorts, Ben?
1: Oh, well, I've seen the old the the classic black and white ones. Yeah, like I mean, everyone mm, knows Steamboat yeah, Willie yeah. and stuff. That sort of first incarnation of a character that would later become iconic. It's always quite fascinating. Like when Bugs Bunny used to be really, really racist. Yeah, yes. <laughs> God, he did not like the Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were at war with them, technically, but...
0: Back to this sort of, the, the, the era that this, this particular Mickey Mouse comes from. It's the era where he was a lot cheekier. And in the new film, um, which it is a brand new film. It is created digitally with a kind of, uh, made to look old fashioned, at least for the first part. The story is a lot more sort of risque. is Mickey Mouse, uh, of this era can manipulate his limbs to do whatever he wishes. He can make like stairs out of his legs. He can, you know, and in the, in the first one, he, he jumps out of his pants and he's naked within like seven seconds. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't see in the kind of Fred Moore Mickey Mouse. You know.
1: It sounds like my kind of mouse. Likes to let loose a bit.
0: Yeah. Unwind. Absolutely. But so the, the adventure begins, and it is quickly kind of is sort of, I suppose you call it twee kind of adventure with them sort of going by on a country road, playing music uh, on a on the back of a sort of hay bale. It's, it's quickly kind of disturbed, shall we say, by the arrival of Peg Leg Pete, and he turns up in his car. There's a sort of a to and fro between Mickey and, and Pete, and this is when the kind of wonderful thing happens with the film where it kind of the screen rips and, and, and Mickey comes to life in kind of 3D and turns up on stage. And, and then the sort of the gags and, and, and everything else just come thick and fast. And it really is. I don't want to spoil much for it, but it really is a wonderful kind of a yarn for, for everyone to enjoy. A yarn? A yarn. Yes. It's, ah. a, it's, it's, a, it's a nice short yarn for everyone to enjoy. So yes, we got to interview the director, Lauren McMullen, and the supervising animator, Eric Goldberg. So here they are, Eric Goldberg and Lauren McMullen. First of all, we'll, we'll uh, ask about how the film came about, the, uh, the, the chance to, to bring Mickey back.
4: It's a somewhat complicated story. I was working in story on Wreck-It Ralph, uh, and Rich Moore, the director, had said, Oh, they're looking for some TV ideas for Mickey and uh, you should go do it you should be one of these people and so I when you talk about Mickey the the question that comes to mind generally is which Mickey because he's been around a long time he's 85 this year and uh, so doesn't look it yes he has an age today but (laughs) To me, that era of Mickey, this 1928 Oob uh, iWorks, uh Mickey, is the the one, the thing that that the guy that I like, and uh, and so I was frankly trying to figure out a way to to use him uh, and just sort of ignore every other era, and so I came up with the idea of uh, what if this is like this lost short um, that so that it comes straight from 1928 and then you literally just pull him out into your theater into CG and thus you there's no baggage uh, you can have that plucky uh, Mickey, that great Mickey. Yeah.
5: I mean, he's a very less restricted Mickey than he's become over the years. His humor is a little uh, more raw, I would say. And, uh, and he's a little more of a rascal. And, and just the freedom of movement that you can get in him. You know, uh, Lauren likes to call it the violation of volume and space. And I think that's a great phrase because basically he can do anything with his body. You know, it, it doesn't have to be physically realistic. And it was great to kind of lock onto that era
4: definitely uh that Mickey too because of Iwerks could draw so fast he could animate so quickly you sometimes got the sense that he was sort of making it up as he went along and that gives the character this feeling of of life and joy and and you don't it's he's doing something for the first time over and over and over and uh it's a really lovely style
0: So it's your first time uh, directing there short for uh, Disney. You're yes. also the first female uh, director. I mean, yes, yes.
4: Have that and, what's your um, I uh, actually I've been uh, an animation director for a long, long time um, in TV, mostly. Sort of, co- kind of going from little things like little commercials to half-hour TV shows, and then and sort of then doing boarding for features. So it's like, you know, as you get older, your attention span is greater so you can tackle something that's more longer format. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be the first woman director. I hope that 10 years from now, it, it wouldn't even come up.
0: So the uh, the greatest tease has been revealed. I mean, how did you, how did you come up with the idea of uh, tricking us all with, uh, with the rubber gloves and the... <laughs> and <something> like
4: <laughs> the rubber gloves. Um, <laughs> Well, we f- we felt for that for Annecy, uh We had this one chance, uh, possibly. We didn't even know uh, we might. We thought that maybe people had heard about it on the internet already and kind of had guessed that there was. It was more modern than we thought. Um, so, at one point, when we were discussing, you know, coming here, it was like, well, if we can lie for this one audience and create this big surprise for them. Let's do it. Let's do it up, you know. Um, and so in the last two days before we left, uh, I did some drawings, some fake drawings, and then uh, dyed them with tea and soy sauce. Uh, so much of that, my boyfriend came home, and she said, why does it smell like a Chinese restaurant in here? And so, yeah, so and then I got a little lab coat, and, and we got the... Uh, some we actually have some fake sales too over at the NIFA.
5: I think it worked perfectly. I mean, it wouldn't have worked had Lauren and the crew not been so dedicated to actually make that style work as well as it worked. I mean part of the fun just for us making it was actually fooling our friends. You had veteran animation artists like John Musker looking at it, going, You mean that's not old? You mean you just made that now? I mean, right? this is a guy who works next door to us, you know, <laughs> and he's been a Disney guy for, for decades now, and that was great.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially once um, we had figured out a way to apply digital film damage to the 2D stuff, there was this huge jump of, of like, it going from something that was a very clean line to uh, you know like Bob's Burgers style to like instantly you're back in 1928. Uh, it was a great, it was a great way to go about it.
0: Um, there seems to be there's always a demand for 2D animation, um, but obviously Disney has a, a, a great past and future in CGI. Uh, was this in mind when you were making the film? Because the film is a, a, a tremendous showcase of both of those styles and they both complement each other uh, it's not like one's taking over from the other you know there's a, mm-hmm. a great to and fro there
4: one great thing about the short is that disney is actually the only to say nothing of mickey mouse disney is the only place that has these 2d animators who could even do it um and we got to work with like veteran cleanup people and you know people who really did it you know uh and it was a, a wonderful process uh, to see how how the exposure sheets come together and, uh, and things like that.
5: I don't think Lauren set out to, you know, say, I want to make a film that celebrates both. But she came up with a story that celebrates both. I think it's the kind of thing where because we, she wanted to take the characters and push them into our current reality from the movie screen. That required the characters to be in CG, to give it that physicality, that, that dimensional realism that you would believe. But everybody was on board. One of the greatest things about working on the project was that everybody was on the same page artistically. Everybody needed to and wanted to do that Mickey that guy and you know the CG guys got it the 2D guys got it and and everybody kind of went to town there wasn't any kind of uh, 2D versus 3D stuff mm-hmm. it really was You know, and half the time our scenes were being done simultaneously, so we're all joined at the leg, you know, (laughs) as we're going forward and back and forth. The CG animator will add something, the 2D animator will confer with him and then readjust, and likewise it went back and forth and back and forth in a way that was very, very positive for the studio.
4: And I'd say, too, that be it CG or or 2D or stereo. I think you should never rule anything out if it's right for the story that you're telling.
0: Perhaps you could tell us a little bit more um, about the style, about the animation style, the uh, the 2D and and 3D, and how you, uh, as animation is acting, how you prepared for the role
4: I'm gonna I'm gonna hand that over
0: to you.
5: Well, first I went back through my Shakespeare. Um any no, um it's an interesting question because as animators we had to unlearn to actually get it right. Over the years as you develop your technique and you're more and more sophisticated with it, you develop ways to make it more fluid, more beautiful. And the stuff done in nineteen twenty-eight was great. But it was not fluid and beautiful. It was actually rather graphic and sometimes very abrupt. One of the most you know common things in animation is you'll get a character to kind of slow into a hold and make sure that that actually felt smooth. They didn't do that. Up, Iworks didn't do that when he was animating. He's there in three frames and then a hold for eight, and it's a kind of thing where all of us had to kind of you know unlearn that stuff. Normally we'd put. Mickey's ears and have a little bit of drag and overlap on them. They absolutely didn't do that then. So we had to actually learn a new language, which we would call Ub after Ub IWorks, and and really learn how to draw and animate like him. And then the CG guys did the same. It's interesting with the CG animation, one of the great cardinal rules is you never put a character on a dead hold because it'll look like a plastic toy if you do. But they found ways of actually putting holds in in the same way that we had holds in the 2D animation, and it worked just great. It felt in character.
4: Right. And I'd add to that too, when, you have, when you've got uh, quick movements and, and beats there, it's much easier to make something funny, actually. And uh, so I was also in the position as a, as a director to, especially in the beginning, to literally my notes were almost always make it worse
0: the only time disney's ever had made it
3: worse yeah yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah
5: some of the cleanup artists we had were some of the most skilled people you know in the industry and we were telling them not to be as good as they were you know a typical case actually one of the earliest scenes is a close up of minnie singing and her feet are what we call a trace back there's a there's a new drawing of feet on every single frame while she the upper part of her is moving and normally they would do that so you couldn't actually tell that there was a change in the drawings and we went to the cleanup artist rachel bibb and said make those feet trace back feet boil <laughs> make them look you know like they were much more crudely done and yeah. she did and it really sold it
4: yeah. i think it actually caused her physical pain to have to go back in because these are people who are like, they're all about neatness and whatever and and, and it was true uh, when the, the people who were assembling the scenes the same way when we added we said we need to do a mistake pass uh, and go through and and drop cells and drop levels and have paint pops and things like that for them also it was it was sort of nail-bitingly difficult to do it Ran while counter while they got t- into it yeah though. they did they did they did
0: uh, you use Walt Disney's voice in the short as well. I mean, how important was that time together, the uh, the old, and the, for this new short?
4: Well, we when we were starting to build the reels, we since Disney has all the shorts for sound effects and bits of music and dialogue, we started pulling stuff from the old shorts, and then we had also some scratch voices for for like lines that we really needed, and the Walt, Mickey just sounded the best. Just like some of the old uh, the old bits of music and the old uh, sound effects, and so at, at some point we sort of made this commitment to trying to have Mickey to find enough walt lines so that Mickey could be all walt as opposed to a mishmash or you know it's a it's a it's a difficult thing because because i I kind of go on the side of if we had replaced his voice, or we got a new Mickey voice, that seems more wrong than just trying to find all Walt, I think.
5: People's ears are pretty sophisticated, and they know when something sounds old, and they know when something sounds right. And without it, we wouldn't have had it. And you did it on the other voices, too, with Peg Leg Pete and Minnie as well.
4: Yeah, no current Peg Leg Pete can laugh like the old Villains, Pete from that era and then also Walt's Mickey sounds more I- young and kind of innocent and you know there was a point where you know Mickey would do this little laugh and he'd talk more in, in later things and and everyone can easily parody that laugh but w- when Walt did it it sounded like a real mouse kind of guy so.
0: perhaps you could tell us a little bit about the cast because Some people may not be familiar, I mean, this is uh, pre-Donald, pre-Goofy. This was
4: before pretty much anybody else showed up. It was just before Pluto showed up, and maybe a year before Donald showed up, I think. Um, So back in that era, Ub kind of started out uh, a lot of shorts. He almost always had a cow in there, and there were also some horses. And they were right on this cusp of being somewhat of an animal still, and then also having some human characteristics, um, so that's Horse, horse collar, and Clarabel the cow, and so we actually had a great time doing stuff for both of them. And then there, of course, there's the whole animal band and all. Over
5: to you. Yeah, I mean, the animal band is basically an amalgam of many of the characters that were in many of those early Mickey cartoons. You know, for some reason there was a goat with a sheriff star <laughs> and, and he was there playing the fiddle, uh, you know, and there were various cats and bears and things like that. We modified them, we changed their designs a little bit or sometimes we would just use it verbatim. But, you know, it's that style of kind of weird... 20s animal <laughs> that kind of came a little bit, say, from the comic strips, you know, a bit like Crazy Cat and things like that, where uh, you know, they had a more graphic quality, and they were kind of bizarre and funny to look at.
0: What makes Mickey Mouse such an iconic character?
4: Um, here. <laughs>
5: I think he's indomitable, and I think he he's an everyman character in in that kind of plucky, spirited American way that, you know, even though he was British, Charlie Chaplin's tramp was, or, you know, many of the silent comedians were. Uh, It's a kind of thing where just the fact that he's spirited and that he can do anything is one thing that makes him iconic. It doesn't mean that he's Superman. It means that he can do anything he sets his mind to. He's resourceful, you know, and he, uh, uh, yeah.
4: In these shorts, he's much more of an underdog. He's like always kind of being bullied around by someone much bigger than him. Bad things happen to him, but then a second and a half later, he's like, <gasps> you know, back to this sort of smile.
0: Eric Goldberg, Lauren McMullen, thank you very much for talking to me today. Enjoy the rest of Annecy.
5: Thank you. Thanks.
1: It was Steve talking to Eric Goldberg. And Lauren McMullen, who uh, worked on *Get a Horse*, the new slash old slash meta Mickey Mouse short that uh, hopefully will be viewable soon. What a fabulous pair!
0: Meta Mickey Mouse short—that's a perfect way of describing it, Ben. Meta Mouse. Meta Mouse. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Oh wait, that's a book I have about <laughs> about Mouse, the the Auschwitz graphic novel. It's not the film. The film is yeah. nothing like that. So it's been a bit of an exciting month for us, Ben. Not only have we had all this time off enjoying ourselves, we've also got a brand spanking new website. People who just listen to the podcast and don't really use the website might be interested to pay a little visit to squiggly.com just to see how we've uh, rearranged the website, added a whole load new features, and just generally made it look nice.
1: We've given it a good hard rebranding, if I may be so bold. You may be. And uh, it looks very pretty. My hat... Or Cap is thoroughly doffed to Mr. Aaron Wood, who uh, took on the rather mammoth task of taking squiggly version 1.0 and and creating the lovely, very blue, easy-on-the-eyes new version of the website that we have today. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel proud, even though I didn't really lift a finger. It's nice. (laughs) It's really the best of both
0: worlds. It's not just, like, a lick of paint. There's not just that. We've we've added a, a few new features, as well as, like, an event calendar, so people can input their own animation events. So if you've got like a a screening coming up or an animation workshop or something like that coming up and you want to put it on the calendar, you can do that for free, just stick it up on the calendar and we'll make sure that it's up there. But I think the most exciting thing that we've added has got to be the squiggly animation showcase, which people have really taken to and really started adding their own work to. And the quality has been amazing. And you can see the latest films that have been added there. You can see the greatest because you can go online and you can vote for the films. It's dog eat dog out there. You've got to
1: keep people on their toes. Yeah, it really is open to everyone. If your video is online anywhere and you want people to see it, we want to see it. Whether it's a student film or a studio film, whether you know a hundred people worked on it or you just did it in your uh, bedroom, it's all of value because uh, it's you know we dig everything.
0: And people will see that there's quite a lot of variety there. Uh, ready and waiting for them so if you just go onto the website and look for the showcase link you'll be able to see where you can add your own films and watch everyone else's and vote for them and share them on facebook and twitter couldn't be simpler
1: and of course in the last couple of months since the last podcast we've had plenty of articles lots of written content interviews as always previews features we have your own coverage steve of the annecy event your write-up as referred to before of the richard williams event all sorts of goodies, videos. A recent article that went up last week that uh, generated a bit of discussion, got some good feedback going on, the social media, was a piece on working for free. Uh, the article's called Should I Work for Free? And it does raise a pretty good issue. And I think the reason it did generate the amount of discussion I, I saw is it is something that we've all kind of had to bump up against at one time or other. Yeah. And it's something I've done. I'm not sure about yourself. Have you, have you taken on... The odd free commission?
0: Well, yeah, I'm doing this for free.
1: Well, this doesn't count because of the sheer pleasure of it.
0: Well, absolutely.
1: As, again, indicated by the tone of your voice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all all had the temptation to work for free. I suppose it's the nature of the business that we're in. Unfortunately, we're not regarded, because it's regarded as a hobby. So it's met with a kind of, well, can't you just do it for free? You're so good at it. You know, and, and the old the old analogy is well, you wouldn't ask a plumber to go and pull the shit out of your toilet for free, would you?
1: No, I, it never goes down that well. No,
0: no. It's good experience. I'll, I'll tell my friends about you. It's like, well, it's not, it's not really going really to help, is it? And I'll just end up with shit all over my hands. It's-
1: there is a lot of potential for empty promises and the particularly ugly one is, you know, oh, well, it's good for your reel or it's good experience and uh, occasionally it is. Occasionally, but I think for the most part. It's not going to be that great for your reel if you're animating, like, typography of medicinal side effects for uh, an animated pharmaceutical commercial someone's getting you to do for free. That's just grunt work and I think most people can gauge Yeah what's appropriate and what they feel is valuable and what, you know. The free stuff I've worked on in the past, the circumstances
0: varied, but more often
1: than not, I think I chose
0: wisely. Something that, that Laura puts across very well in the article is that as a recent graduate herself, she's done her research and she has looked into to what level these things happen. Obviously, at your level, you're at a completely different level to, to a recent graduate. You know which side your bread's buttered. You're not going to just like you say, you're not going to go and work and do an animation on medicinal side effects, are you? Like you've just said, I think it all depends on circumstance and, and like you say, what you get back off it. Some awesome work for the, for the showreel is actually a pretty sweet deal, even though you're not getting paid. One thing that's been sort of happening recently on Squiggly is that we've been getting a few kind of unsolicited emails from companies who are just say, basically saying, how can we get hold of animators? And if it was a good proposal or a good sort of idea, we'd be very tempted as a website. It'd be our obligation, wouldn't it, to tell everyone who's on Twitter and Facebook and on the site and stuff.
1: Well, if like an animation studio has a job going, yeah, we'll retweet it usually. Sure. We want to help out in that way. But yeah, I think we'd be less likely to if they're just like, hey, we need some free work.
0: Well, that's what these emails are. And these emails are like, they start off with like, hello, I'm a volunteer for such and such company. And you look up the company and it's like a multi-million pound company. I'm thinking, all right, okay, so you're the first sucker. (laughs) And then there's like, we're looking for animators. So you want us to sort of advertise this free work. But there's no way that we're going to pass on free work to like any animators mm. out there there's that well it depends are they paying us to <laughs> well that, that's the, that's the main reason that we're not doing
3: it <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> the kind of other reason is that this kind of proposals that we get sent they're the sort of the worst stuff that wouldn't benefit anybody in any capacity yeah. you know it only benefits the company and if something only benefits the company then you shouldn't be doing it you should always benefit At the end of the day, whether it's a financial benefit, whether it's a kind of showreel benefit or even if you want to be a bit airy about it, a spiritual benefit, an experience. You know, if you you find experience to be valuable, maybe volunteering at a festival, for example, something I've done in the past and and probably do in the future, go for it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when it's just a company just turning up and saying, right, where are the animators at? I've got some free work that needs doing. You know, when we get emails like that, it's like, "Mm, no thanks.
2: Well, people
1: can also get quite uh, militant about it and sort of uh, perhaps a little overcautious about the nature of, say, crowdsourcing, uh, for example, like sort of getting people to to contribute to, like, a larger project for free on their own time. Mm -hmm. And in that instance, I think they're kind of missing the point because if people are going to do that, then they have their own motives for doing so like these uh, these films that they remake shot for shot with different people doing each shot like Star Wars Yes, and and stuff like that but like it's like a kind of and then uh, of course Bill Plimpton did that exact thing with one of his films and I actually I did a, a shot for that film and it was unpaid but it was like a couple of seconds and I'm still like getting goodies and updates and, and sneaky Peaks at new work and stuff for being associated with that, you know. That paid off in many ways. And actually, what I I ended up getting sent was an actual frame from the original film. That easily would have been justified as an honorarium. And I don't think that was even part of the deal at the time. It was like a surprise. But that got criticized. I actually I interviewed a few of the other people who worked on that project, and I think the article is probably still up. It was called uh, Guard Dog Global Jam. And uh, yeah, apparently, like when they started it and they were putting up the call for animators, people on these other animation websites were saying, oh, you're just trying to get people to do free work for you. It's so, like, well, that's not factually inaccurate, but. We're not doing it scurrilously. We're being quite honest about it, and so it's, it's for people who want to to do it, you know.
0: Yeah, the film had already been done. He was experimenting, wasn't he, with, with yeah. uh, Global Jam. It was quite admirable, really.
1: And I don't think anyone who would put those much longer-form ones, the ones of, like, creating feature films together, mm-hmm. no one would ever put their feet to the fire because people vie for positions, on those kinds of things I, I mean I, I've never done one of those but I've, I've taken a look at them I've, I haven't seen Star Wars but like there was a point I think when they were doing one when I was like oh maybe I could do something for my real kind of thing and I took a look at it and the vibe was like attach your name to a shot as soon as you see when you like because it could be gone tomorrow yeah. or within a few hours you know and people really want to be involved in those and there's a reason it's because it's, it's, they're doing it for the pleasure of it mm-hmm. and that's the right kind of free work to do This reminds me, by the way, we have a holdover from uh, a good few months ago, and we never really threw it into the podcast, but I talked about a particularly terrible job I did, like at the beginning of the year. We all have to sludge through crappy commissions from time to time. But what we were kind of hoping for, and we did actually get a few uh, uh, of our listeners' stories about working in this industry and coming up against their own particularly grievous encounters with clueless clients and that kind of thing.
0: Shall we make noises as if we've got a mailbag? Let's... The first letter...
1: This is from TR.
0: I don't think TR is sitting comfortably. That's not much of a a made-up name.
1: Actually, I'm being quite clever. Her actual initials are RT, so, you know... (laughs) Anyway, she writes,
0: Good, good, good the good.
1: first month after I graduated from my animation BA a few years ago now, I'd gotten an internship with a company very close to where I lived. I was only doing errands and picking up rental equipment, but as the company did animation, it seemed like a perfect opportunity to get my foot on the ladder. After some conversations, I was allowed to help out with the editing of one of their animation commissions as I had done some editing for my student film and new final cut. The production was going brilliantly until the guy I was working with left halfway through with a fortnight left on the project. Instead of leaving me to it, which I could have managed, my boss insisted on hiring a completely random woman with no industry experience to quote-unquote help. As it turned out, not only was she being paid despite having no background while I was unpaid with a degree, she was my boss's girlfriend, who had been recently fired from her job at a cinema. Not only did she not seem to know how Final Cut worked, which she insisted she'd pick up on in no time, she apparently didn't know how computers worked, as I realised returning from the toilet to see her staring at an empty FCP window. She didn't know how to open a project file without someone doing it for her. Everything she ended up doing was a disaster that I had to fix... The progress slowed to a crawl, and when I explained rather than complained about the situation to my boss, I was sternly told to have more of a team attitude and help people instead of whine since my internship ended they've not had me back again, which is no tremendous loss so this next one is from um, uh, I can't think of a, a appropriate pseudonym so uh, anonymous
0: <laughs> that's a lot easier. I'm trying
1: to come up with two letters. A couple of years back, I was asked to make some animation. The budget was very small, but financial circumstances being what they were, I took it on, and the company said that there would definitely be more work in the future, and it would be better paid. The schedule was also very tight, and when the start date kept getting put back, the delivery date didn't budge. When I pointed out that the schedule was reaching breaking point, their producer mocked me asking rhetorically about my experience of working in the industry and implying that it wasn't up to scratch. The job finally went ahead, and the company's word was good in that subsequent work did arrive, but the budgets remained low and the schedules remained tight at best and unrealistic at worst. So more than once I turned down work because I couldn't see how it could be done with anything approaching the bare minimum of production values. When I did take the work on, it was accompanied by queries asking why the animation was taking so long. It reached a point where I wrote a long explanation detailing how animation works, as it was clear the company thought animation could and should be produced at the same rate as live action. However this didn't seem to have any effect, as the long time I was taking became something of a recurring motif, usually in a passive-aggressive fashion, but occasionally a little more direct, and I preferred the latter. Our relationship became slightly strained as a further attempt at enlightenment, framed as tactfully as I could manage, was ignored and payments to me delayed, sometimes by months. The last I heard from the company was when I was asked to make a two-minute animation in a week. I said no. The source of frustration in the work wasn't the pay or the bizarre schedules, it was the fact the company, a media company at least in theory, had no interest in understanding the nature of the work they commissioned and purported to specialize in. In fact, although they were producing the work for third parties, their relationship with me was like that of a client rather than a production company outsourcing work. I've never met anyone so disinterested in the process and so dismissive of it. Wow. That is aggravating. (laughs) And quite near the knuckle, I have to say.
0: There's so many sort of red flags there that I'm sure loads of people can relate to. There's the idea of a company saying, "Oh, we won't pay you much now, but in future, you know, the future, the promise of future work." There's the idea that people think that animation is easy or that animation is just as easy to do as say live action or, you know, at least time-wise. I'm not saying that live action's easy. Man, so many kind of red flags there.
1: We have one more? From um
0: Do you have a do you have a made-up name for this one?
1: Anonymous 2. Oh. <laughs> A few years ago, I was creating an ad campaign that took the form of a series of online viral short films featuring a group of animal characters getting into mischief. I was supposedly writing the films, although over the course of the process my favourite ideas were very gradually whittled away by the agency, but that was to be expected. I was also teamed with some in-house writers from the agency to work on script ideas together. After an initial brainstorming session, we went away and wrote up our ideas individually. When I read through the ideas by the other writers a few days later, I was, to put it politely, unimpressed. They just weren't very funny at all. They were painfully unfunny. To be fair to the other writers, I don't think comedy short films were their strong point, but there was one beautiful line in one of the treatments that summed up perfectly my problem with the ideas. It said... In the background, the hedgehog is going down a hill on skis. And then in brackets was written, This is funny because it is a hedgehog on skis.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's made us laugh. uh,
1: He finishes, I really wanted to put that on a t-shirt, a picture of a hedgehog on skis, with the caption below, This is funny because it is a hedgehog on skis. I still might. (laughs) So thank you very much to anonymous to to all who wrote in <laughs> to share their tales of uh, freelance woe. And um, perhaps this has uh, uh, awakened something in the squiggly audience, or maybe uh, people who are holding on to stories of their own may wish to send something in at this point. Um, we'd be delighted to hear them because Schadenfreude is a wonderful, wonderful thing.
0: We always love getting correspondence like that, even though you, you may be reliving a nightmare by typing it up for us, but we do appreciate people getting in touch with the podcast so, if you want to find out a little bit more about working for free, maybe if you're a recent graduate yourself, or if you want to read this article, you can go on Squiggly and use the search bar to search uh, "should I work for free," and you can have a look at all the new features and gadgets and gizmos and everything else on uh, Squiggly.com. <laughs> Guess what's out in cinemas, Ben?
1: I'm not sure, those are very ambiguous sound effects.
0: (laughs) You're right. The story of a cow having a stroke.
1: Is there a gas leak where you are? (laughs) This of course is the Disney movie Planes. Yes. Which I guess is spun off from the Pixar films, Cars and Cars 2. I guess they sort of ran out of automobiles. And so they're taken to the skies. Mm -hmm. Because I think that was the main unanswered question after the Cars movies is, what about the planes? (laughs) I haven't actually seen the Cars movies. Haven't you? No. Are they all right?
0: They are good.
1: I'm not really a car guy. No? I never like played with cars as a kid.
0: Neither am I. The thing is, is, is that John Lasseter is a huge car fan. And so the sort of franchise is based around that and based around his sort of love of cars and, you know, anything with an engine
6: mm-hmm.
0: in a kind of exaggerated way that Walt Disney was obsessed with trains. So Casey Jr. made an appearance in Dumbo. John Lassiter has decided to create an entire franchise of all these sort of automobiles and, and things like that. I mean, the, the, the Cars films are okay. They're not the best thing to come out of Pixar by a long shot, but they are what they are. I'm sure they keep the kids quiet. I know. I'm sure planes will do just as good a job. We sent Tom to see it, and he was pleasantly surprised. He said it wasn't uh, as bad as... As it had been foretold by the more psychic animation people on Twitter and Facebook and things like that People do have a tendency to see something such as Planes Which does look like a studio ripping itself off And to say, oh, it's going to be rubbish straight away Without actually seeing the film Which is incredible foresight, you know (laughs) When that's happened
1: in the past, it's usually proved to be the case I think that's probably what they're basing stuff on like Shrek spin and stuff sure. like that, you know, yeah. it's, it's not really that necessary.
0: Yeah, well, Tom was pleasantly surprised by Planes. Obviously, he's not the age range. He's um, he's a couple of decades older than uh, than the age range for Planes. Oh, is it more geared toward children rather than families? Uh, well, yeah, family kind of audience, but he's he hasn't got a family. Well, <laughs> he has got a family. He's not an orphan. He's, well, I mean,
1: I mean, you'd say like a Pixar film pretty much anyone can watch it yes but kids would get something more out of it but would a disney film be more specifically targeted towards say people under a certain age
0: well I, the way tom was saying is uh, is that it's a bit more of a sort of kids movie for the summer holidays right okay it doesn't rely on the kind of extra additional layer so kids and people who have kids exactly exactly right i mean me and you shouldn't rush to the cinemas to see it i would imagine but saying that like we enjoyed monsters university which, again, was more for, like... Yeah, I don't think there's much for kids in Monsters University. I don't think that kids could really... Well, especially UK kids could really appreciate frat house humour. <laughs>
1: you know what I enjoyed about Monsters University now? I Because I, when I saw it, I had barely any recollection of Monsters, Inc. I saw that film, like, once around the time it came out on video. Because that's how old I am. So I sort of vaguely knew what it was about. Obviously, I knew you know who billy crystal and john goodman were in it and but very little else and so watching monsters university without really remembering the first one it kind of worked as a film in its own right mm-hmm. you could tell that like, there were sort of audience reactions to things that i didn't really get that i guess okay that's a nod to something that happens in the first movie that won't happen until later on so i re-watched the first movie last week and it really does flow very well from Monsters University. Yeah. Knowing their sort of backstory. They paid a lot of attention to detail. And, of course, uh, Steve Buscemi's character mm-hmm. makes perfect sense the way that sort of... Very easy to foreshadow when you do it after the thing. Yeah. But that was good because the last time I, I did that the wrong way around, it was it sort of ruined it. Like, I watched the Twin Peaks prequel before I watched the Twin Peaks TV show. And I, I didn't get the memo that the TV show was a whodunit it. So the prequel gives away who the f- murderer is. I was like, in episode three, I was like, wait, am I not supposed to
0: know? Ah, f-.
1: <laughs> So yeah, they were a little more considerate to people like me who hadn't watched Monsters Inc. in a while.
0: Yeah. So, What Tom got to do after seeing the film was to interview Terry Hatcher. And if we're talking about old TV series, I suppose me and you would more likely recognise her from Lois and Clark, as opposed to Desperate Housewives, which...
1: You had to watch it if you were seeing someone at the time. It was like the successor to Sex
0: in the City. Yeah, and I was hopelessly single at the time.
1: So Tom got to talk to Terry Hatcher, who was also, of course, in Caroline. Sort of a, a two birds, one stone dealie there.
3: Let's hear what she has to say. Pleasure meeting you. Nice to Thank meet you. Thank the interview. Um, I'll go straight in. Can you tell us a bit about the world of planes?
7: Yes, okay. Well, so, planes um, comes to you from above the world of cars. And, uh, you know, that's their tagline. But I like it because it tells you right away that it's got a, a, a visionary like John Lasseter behind you and behind it. And, um, and, and the other thing that Disney does so well is that they infuse these inanimate objects, was cars, this time it's planes, with these real human stories that very quickly into the movie they just take you away and you find that you're empathizing with them and rooting for them as if you were watching, you know, a a real person playing a sport or something. And um, in this movie, Dusty, who's the star, he plays a crop dusting plane which is just supposed to stay over this little farm and never fly very high or very far. And I play Dottie, who is uh, very adorable, <laughs> uh, little purple um, pickup truck. You know, I mean, forklift mechanic, and she's his friend. And he starts talking about wanting to race around the world. That that's his dream. And so the movie, I think, thematically is just simply about can you can you can you get beyond your perceived limitations, either what you think you're capable of, what other people think you're capable of. Can you confront your fears and can you get beyond that and maybe reach a dream? And I think that's something that almost all of us have to go through as we head out into life and what are we gonna make of our lives? You know, there's gonna be fears in front of us that we're either gonna tackle or they're gonna stop us, you know, and uh, often the greatness is beyond the fears. And that's what it is in this movie. And so Dottie initially is worried for her friend. You know, she's a realist, she's spunky and, and confident and, and capable and, and she knows his limitations because she works on his plane. Um, and she doesn't want to see her friend get hurt. But then like good friends, when he doesn't really give up give up on this, you know, when he demonstrates that he is going to face every fear he can to try to get beyond it, then she turns and is supportive and tries to help him realize his dream.
3: Dottie is the voice of reason mm-hmm. within the movie. Is that an aspect of how you enjoy?
7: Well, I do, and I think sometimes that can be a difficult voice to be. It's, uh, you know, not always the most adored, you know? Mm-hmm. It's easy to get kind of carried away and fantastical about something that can happen, and sometimes it's just not as fun to go, well, the truth is, this is what is actually gonna happen. Mm. Um, but I like her arc, you know, so I, I like that he's got a friend, that is willing to give him the truth but I like that she is also supportive of her friend in the end and it's like okay if you're going to do it then we're going to have to make you the best you can be.
3: Uh, Your character is a very talented female mechanic uh, who doesn't rely on any male protagonist. How important is it for these types of characters to be written for children?
7: I did not necessarily become aware of this until I finally saw the whole movie together you know because when you're recording it yourself I mean, I knew the storyline of the movie of course but you're just recording yourself you're not really doing scenes per se and you're recording your lines you're you know working on your specific intent and it wasn't really till I saw the whole movie that I recognized this is, a, this is a female mechanic that, like, little hmm. girls are going to go home and they're going to play with plastic screwdrivers and plastic wrenches and they're going to pretend to fix things. And, you know, I, I don't want to get too heady about it, but I think that does, like, put a little niche in the stereotype of that that's just a boy thing, and I think that's good. I think it's empowering.
3: Was there any difficulties in performing, Dottie?
7: No, it was just fun. I mean, truthfully, it's kind of hard to call it a job.
3: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How does voice acting differ from regular film acting
7: um, I guess the first thing is you' you're not well you're not motivated by but you're also not tied to the confines of you know bouncing a ball back and forth with somebody in in real time you know I say something you react, I make you react you know and that going back and forth there's more independence and more sort of arbitrary decision-making you can just try things that don't necessarily attach to anything else and then you can actually really get literal and go do I want this voice to be high or does it you know is it more effective if it's down here and why and 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 find out where it feels the most whatever it is you're trying to get I think in Dottie I'm trying to be really authentic loving caring but tough too um, you know and, and, and so it was You know, Ernest, she's compassionate, Mm -hmm. smart, a little spunky, trying to get all that in there. Not silly. She's not (laughs) silly.
3: Before Planes, you've voiced the other mother in Coraline. How did your approach differ between the two characters?
7: Well, Coraline was a lot more work because it was three roles Um, Three versions of the mother, and all three different voices, one super scary, which was lower, I think, and one that was sickeningly sweet and perfect, and one that was sort of like your normal, average, annoyed, overworked mother. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, And so... Differentiating them, that was hard in itself, trying to just remember. Because you do the movie over maybe two or three years, you go in for different recording sessions, and sometimes so long would go by that Henry Selick directed that movie, I would say, Henry, I don't even remember what I did last time I was in here. You know, you're gonna have to refresh my memory. I know Henry's big point of view on that was he wanted real. Mm -hmm. He wanted this real relationship between Dakota Fanning's voice and my voice. He really wanted a mother-daughter. He didn't want anything silly or gimmicky. And um, he just wanted the emotion to come through, so that people were moved by by the story. And uh, I think I think we accomplished that. That movie took seven years to finish. Crazy amount of work. I mean, the artistry, really, on either of these, even though they're totally different formats of animation four years to put Planes together, seven years for Coraline. Mm. And they're just such brilliant examples of delayed gratification. And you don't find that very much. And it really should be honoured. You know, people Mm. sort of forget, like, what kind of passion has to go into a project that you're not going to see the result of for four years.
0: So that was Tom talking to Terry Hatcher about her role in Planes and a little bit more about voice acting in general. Why do I need to tell you? You've already listened to that.
1: There's also video of that interview up on squiggly.com or on our Vimeo channel. You can check it out. There's also some footage from the film as well. Here's some good news. We at Squiggly have an event coming up. Oh, yes. We're very happy to have been approached to put together a screening as part of a series of fringe events in the lead up to this year's Encounters Film and Animation Festival, which will take place in Bristol next month, and which we'll be covering, as always, the fringe event itself will be our first showcase screening. We're currently in the process of handpicking shorts from the online showcase we have up at squiggly.com, so if you have something online, once again, do feel free to submit it. The evening itself is going to be very casual... Uh, no competitions or prizes and such, just uh, lots of good films. Uh, we'll be putting up more info on our website and Facebook if any of you out there would like to come by. We would love to see you, and it's completely free. I know, right? Uh, it'll be the 28th of this month, that's August. At half 7 at the Looking Glass pub and art space in Bristol just by St Nicholas Market you can find out more about the venue at the com. hopefully see you there Is Monsters University the first time Pixar have done like a prequel
0: I think it's the the first prequel yeah um, mm. it's certainly not the first sequel can't I think, can't think of another prequel. So that would be... That would be a conclusive yes.
1: <laughs> Prequels are a hard one to pull off, but I guess with animation you get a bit more leeway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're also still you know doing their uh, shorts. There's a new Toy Story film, well, mini film. Somewhere between a short and a feature, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, half an hour long. Toy Story of Terror. Aptly named, as I believe it's coming out for Halloween, or at least in October, uh, it's going to be aired on ABC in America. I don't know whether it'll be aired in England. Uh, you know how they like to treat us over here. Um, half hour long, I believe, that it's somewhat of a, of a sort of horror pastiche, which should be fun.
1: Yeah, well, they, they sort of delved into horror elements in a way before, haven't they, with the sort of creepy toys that they come up against?
0: Yeah, that, that was a good great sequence in the first film, when they're in, in Sid's room, oh. all really these sort of mangled toys.
1: Do you think they'll go for that kind of vibe, like actually try and creep kids out, or would it be more of a, like, a sort of B movie type jokey horror, like with Paranorman?
0: I don't know. It's it's hard to say, really. I mean, if it's for kids, um, then obviously they're not going to, no one's going to have their head pulled off. Uh, the premise of it being stuck in, in a hotel interested me because obviously the, the idea is that uh, Bonnie, who now owns her toys, is on a road trip to visit her grandma, the car breaks down, and the gang have to stay in a creepy hotel. The idea of creepy hotels sort of reminded me of The Shining, uh, and the director of Toy Story 3, uh, Lee Unkrich, is a huge Shining fan. Mm. Uh, He actually runs a Shining website, so, yeah, it interests me. He's, he's obviously not directing this. He's busy uh, directing Pixar's upcoming feature film about the Day of the Dead, which hasn't been given a title yet. But, yeah, it, it's, it sort of interests me, the idea that they're stuck in a hotel. I wonder how much uh, input Leon Critch had into the creative process there.
1: Well, I wouldn't mind a, a nice sort of shining homage with the Toy Story characters. Yeah. That could be rather adorable.
0: Yeah, can Disney make the shining adorable?
1: <laughs> I think The Simpsons kind of defined... If we're going to talk Shining parodies, you can't really top what they did. Oh, the shining Back in what I like to call the day. <laughs> but in the meantime, the other short that they've been working on is called The Blue Umbrella, which um, is about a blue umbrella in a sort of literal sense rather than a kind of European art film sense.
0: I believe that is the case, Ben. I do believe that... You're not really jumping to too much of a conclusion there. It is actually about a blue umbrella. I am on fire. You certainly are. Your deductive skills are uh, unparalleled. Uh, Yeah, it's about a blue umbrella who who falls for a red umbrella. What's been interesting to see from this film is how it's hyper-real. Hmm... It's kind of been given that touch that everyone, everyone was talking about, even from 1995, how real can you get? I think it was really kicked up again uh, when the first Shrek film was released when they said, how realistic can you get films? Yeah. Of, obviously, they weren't referring to the storyline when it comes to Shrek. They were referring to, obviously, human characters and hair and, you know, weight and clothing and everything else, yeah. Yeah, environments. Um, but, yeah, the environment in this looks, looks hyper real straight past the uncanny valley to, you know, realistic. The only animated, well, animated in a kind of a design sense uh, would appear to be the, the expressions on the, the faces of the umbrellas. Yeah. I mean, what do you think to it?
1: I think it looks interesting. I mean, I think that, you know, if you're being inventive enough, then there's no real issue with doing photorealism. I think the the concern that people have about it is that, Usually when someone's really amping up the realism and and CG, they're sort of masking or or taking attention away from the fact that the story is so utterly banal. Mm -hmm. If a Pixar short is as inventive as all the Pixar shorts that have come before it, it really doesn't matter if it looks like you're looking out the window or if it looks like it was drawn on a napkin. Mm -hmm. They pride themselves on, reasonably, is that they put story first so if it's a good story i think people will uh, not let aesthetic taste bleed into their opinion of it yeah certainly i thought the facial animation was sort of interesting it's a nice kind of juxtaposition
0: it does come from quite a, a pedigree of uh, short films pixar while the debate is still open i'm sure about the feature films I think it's it's a bit more of a of a uh, a stretch to imagine that the the short films that there's any duffers in the short film uh, category when it comes to, to to Pixar's um content. I mean, I can't think of any Pixar short films that I don't like. Hmm. Do you have any particular favorites?
1: I well all the ones I've seen I've enjoyed. I mean, they've certainly been all of them are perfectly watchable. I I really liked um day and night or night and day because mm-hmm. it was like the 2d character animation with these cg innards <laughs> uh these sort of landscapes that they uh they kind of encompass it's the well-executed uh, little ingenuity pieces that i enjoy i really also liked it. an older one it's a guy playing chess with himself in the park do you remember that jerry's game yeah yeah, yeah. um And that was just a a great example of how the editing can play such a great role in terms of giving duality to one character. You know, it gets to a point where it really is like he's playing with someone else and and the the interaction with himself is superb. I haven't seen that in ages, actually. We used to watch that um, uh, back when I was doing my BA um, as part of, of... Something <laughs> probably something on how to make good films, you know. Uh, well,
0: it's 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 a very economic storyline, isn't it? Really, you know. What have you got? You've got an old man and a chess set. How much can you do with that? And it goes to what Charlie Chaplin said. I mean, he, he's often quoted as saying, uh, "I only need a few things to be funny: a policeman, a pretty girl, and a park." Mm-hmm. You know, that's all I need to be funny. Them, them three ingredients, and uh, there's Pixar pulling it off with a chessboard, chess pieces. And an old man. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's a good lesson, really, in in kind of economic filmmaking.
1: We've talked before about our squiggly correspondent who went to the Stuttgart Animation Festival in Germany, Miss Laura Beth Cowley. While she was there, she also interviewed Sashka Unseld, which I'm going out on a, a bit of a limb as far as that pronunciation. Very nice. Yeah,
0: thank you. Yeah, I'm convinced. If I got
1: it wrong, sir get in touch with me. We'll have a good natter about it. See what I did there? I'm networking <laughs> through bad pronunciation.
0: <laughs> yeah, same Same to uh, the producer. If we pronounce your name wrong, jaon Lassiter, please get in touch with us. We'd love to talk to you.
1: Fiendish, Stephen. Fiendish. <laughs> so let's have a little listen in on their chat. This is Laura Beth Cowley talking to Sacha Unseld, director of The Blue Umbrella.
2: Can you briefly explain how you came up with the idea for Blue
6: Umbrella? Well, the idea for Blue Umbrella came from, actually I found the idea on the street. It was, I was living in San Francisco and it was a rainy day and I was walking through the city and suddenly I saw something lying on the side of the street. And it was an umbrella, it was a completely broken umbrella that someone had thrown away and it was just lying there completely drenched and half broken and I stopped it because it, it looked unbelievably sad and, and no one cared, like everyone just kept walking by and I just realized that I was feeling really sad for this umbrella which is just an object but there was an emotional connection there and I, that's just something I remember, this emotional connection to this umbrella lying on the side of the street in the rain by himself half broken Mm. and that led me to the idea of telling the story what happened to this umbrella and maybe there's a way of getting to a happy end even though he's down there in the street
0: so the film is quite hyper realistic can you tell us why you chose
3: to film like that
6: at one point when i worked on the story i got the idea that not just the umbrellas would come to life when it rains but the whole city would come to life when it rains everything would become alive and smile and be happy about the rain. And um, I had done a test where I thought it would be a nice idea for a music video if all these faces you see in the city would sing. And I had just shot a test on that on my iPhone and when I pitched the story to the people at Pixar I showed that test and it was literally I shot a couple of things on my phone and then animated the faces. And so it was photoreal because that was just easy to do. And when I showed it, I realized that everyone got really excited. Suddenly, these things come to life. These things that you know from everyday walking in the street suddenly become magical and that was a magic to it because you didn't expect it like if there would be cartoony, yes they can come to life but not if you think it's a real city how i know it and then something like this happened that's magic and i wanted to keep that feeling of magical for the film and that's why we decided to make it look photoreal so that in the beginning you think this is a real city
3: <laughs> um, how did the narrative develop during mm-hmm. production to make it to what it was in the end
6: Um, I think there was a lot of adjustments and changes and improvements on small moments just to make them flow better for us to be emotionally with the umbrellas and kind of follow the story through and constantly know how the character feels like. The biggest change that we did was initially the city was just watching them um, and being happy and sad about them, depending on what happens to them, but at one point we realized they are probably friends like the city and the Blue Umbrella because they all come out every time it rains. So they know each other and they care about each other. And um, if they care about each other, the city would try and help Blue. Especially when, when the Blue Umbrella falls into the traffic and it's really dangerous. They should jump in and try to help him, try to get him out of harm's way. and that idea we came up during the production process once we had it up on wheels we saw this doesn't feel right so we came up with this idea i think that's one of the biggest changes that we added you mentioned earlier that the city was meant to sing at the beginning can you explain why that changed yeah part of my pitch was that the city would become like a greek chorus so in the beginning, they would just sing a song to celebrate the rain. Once the two blue umbrella's meet, the song would change into a love song. And when the blue umbrella lies on the side of the street, it would be a morning song. So there's like this Greek chorus in the background um, that kind of vocalizes our feeling. And um, we, most of the production, we thought that's how it's going to end up. And at one point, we anim- finally had animation lip-synced to the singing. And we watched it together with John Lasseter and we realized that the city singing was such a fascinating thing. It completely stole the show of the main story, which was the love story between two umbrellas. Every time you saw the umbrellas, you were like, I want to see the city again, show me that again. And the core of the film is the love story. So. We had to tone down the city a bit and part of that was removing that the city actually sings itself. We still have the same vocals actually. It's just that it comes more kind of metaphorically from the city and not actually physically from the city's mouth.
3: Okay, how did you come into working with animation?
6: It was kind of, it it was like a sliding thing. Mm -hmm. Um, In Germany when you graduate from school, like normal high school, you already have to pick two majors and two minors mm-hmm. and I didn't know what to do at the time so I just picked whatever I liked mm-hmm. and there was my majors were math and art and then my minors were computer science and philosophy mm-hmm. and I had no idea what to do with that, it was just what I liked and then I heard about the Film Academy here which at the time was mostly known for visual effects mm-hmm. but I thought that's like a combination of arts and computer science and then I started studying there and then I found out about the animation, especially because Toy Story 1 came out and I was like, wow, this is even more amazing. Um, so I kind of just followed what, what, what my heart told me, what is the thing that would make me happy. And then I started to discover that I like doing animation and I started to discover I like storytelling and directing. So it was a slow progress over like 10 years that I just always followed what made me happy doing.
3: Okay. Um, and what are you working on now,
2: or planning to work
6: on soon? Well, now it's—I mean—a lot of time is is going to conferences and festivals, and showing the blue umbrella to people, and answering their questions, and kind of talking a bit about the production process. And which is super exciting because I, I don't—I like people's questions, I like talking with them, and I like showing the film. Um, and then I work on a couple of ideas, and also. How about on a couple of films in the camera and staging department. It's kind of the stuff I normally do on a day to day basis. So it's a mix of things. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you very much. So that was Laura Beth Cowley
0: talking to Sasha Unseld at Stuttgart this year.
1: Yes, and the Blue Umbrella is accompanying Monsters University. Which I believe is still out in cinemas, at least for a little while longer. Do you think that, given that we managed to get Terry Hatcher, how confident are you that we might be able to get, like, John Goodman for an episode of the podcast?
0: Um, well, about as confident as I am that we'll get Elvis Presley on the podcast.
1: Okay, so there's there's a small chance. Yeah, slim
0: chance.
1: I'm not sure if that would be a particularly focused interview. I'd probably just end up asking about Coen Brothers movies.
0: What would Elvis but, um, know about Coen Brothers movies?
1: Oh, Steve... <laughs> you're incorrigible (laughs) sorry it's always over so soon isn't it Steve the squiggly podcast
0: certainly is Ben
1: but it's just nice that we're doing it again Steve I've missed this I've missed this too Ben I've missed us Oh knockwood, there won't be quite as chasmic a gap between this podcast and the next one um, we've got plenty lined up like I said we've been hoarding material I hope you've all been well hope you've had a lovely summer
0: we'd like to thank Sasha Unseld director of the Blue Umbrella uh, talking to uh, Laura Beth Cowley there at Stuttgart this year
1: thanks to Eric Goldberg and Laura McMullen animation supervisor and director respectively of Get a Horse keep your eyes skinned for that and thanks to Terry Hatcher, who is in Plains,
0: out now, I believe. The Squiggly podcast is produced and edited by Ben Mitchell. It's presented by myself, Steve Henderson, and Ben Mitchell. You can follow us on Twitter, at Squiggly. You can follow me on Twitter, at Mr. S. Henderson. You can follow Ben on Twitter, at Ben L. Mitchell. You can like us on Facebook if you go on Facebook slash Squiggly Magazine. For all the latest news, reviews, and interviews and videos now, don't forget to check out squiggly.com. So until the next podcast, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.
1: Get out of here, you little scamps.